بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about the amazing occasion of the conquest of Al-Quds, the victory of the Muslims at Jerusalem, and how, alhamdulillah, during the Khilafah of Umar ibn Khattab, Al-Quds, Jerusalem, the land of the prophets, it came under the command of the Muslims, alhamdulillah. So after the Fath of Al-Quds, after the conquest of Jerusalem, Umar ibn al-Khattab he ordered each commander to return to his own area. Remember at the conquest of Jerusalem, the commanders of the Muslim army from the different areas of Asham, they came together during the conquest of Jerusalem. So after the conquest of Jerusalem, Umar commanded each, each commander to take his army and go back to their own city, to go back to their own area in Asham. Because by this time, a lot of Asham had been conquered. Many cities throughout the land had been conquered. So the Muslims needed to make sure that they kept a strong presence throughout all of those conquered lands. If they were to leave some area alone for an extended period of time, it's, it's dangerous because it's a possibility that the Christians could try to retake those cities that had been conquered by the Muslims. So Umar he ordered each commander, go back to your own city and make sure that you protect it. He divided Philistine into two states, Ramla and Ilya. Ilya is Al-Quds. So he divided Philistine into two states. And he delegated these duties amongst the Muslim commanders and he organized all of the affairs in Asham. And then after that, he returned to Medina. And the commander of the Muslim forces in Asham was Abu Ubaidah. So he returned to his base in Hims as well. So now, you know, each commander is back in his own city. The city that has been delegated or assigned to him. So Abu Ubaidah as the commander, the general commander of all of the forces in Syria, he had his base in Hims. And that's a very important city strategically. So now that the Muslim army was spread throughout all of these conquered lands in Sham, there was the issue of the numbers in the Muslim army. The Muslim army was relatively small. Now that they had conquered so many lands, this posed a security issue, the small number of the Muslim army. They were spread very thin amongst all of these different cities in Asham. The Christians still made up a majority population of Asham. And the Byzantines, they were boiling mad after having all of these losses one after another and now being expelled from the city that they consider the most holy city, Al-Quds. They're expelled from Jerusalem as well now. So this was a big deal, right? And, and the Byzantines are very angry at this. They lost so many lands in Asham and they lost Al-Quds as well. So they're looking for an opportunity to find some weakness in the Muslim ranks 
so that they can try to retake these lands that they have lost. So the Byzantine Emperor Hiraqal, he's still not giving up. He started making new efforts to organize a number of armies to try to reclaim those lands that they had lost. So the first army that was organized with this intention of trying to go back into Sham and taking back the cities of Sham, the first army that was organized for this purpose was the army of Al-Jazeera. Al-Jazeera was an area between the Tigris and the Euphrates River in, in northern Iraq. This area was known as Al-Jazeera and it was a Christian stronghold. So they organized an army to march towards Sham and to try to reclaim these lands that the Byzantines had lost. So their first target, the first place that they wanted to try to reclaim was Hims itself because they know that the, the main commander of, of the Syrian forces, the main commander of the Muslim forces in Syria, Abu Ubaidah, he is stationed in Hims. So they wanted to take out the leader. They were thinking if we can take out Abu Ubaidah, then you know the rest of the Muslim army will crumble because he's the main commander. That was their thinking. So they thought, okay, let's go to Hims. This was the plan. And the Muslims now, they're in a difficult situation. As we mentioned, the army is not very big in numbers and they're spread very thin in Asham, in the different cities of Sham. Right? If one part of the Muslim army leaves the city that it is stationed in, in order to help another city to fend off an attack, then they would leave that city that they left exposed. So imagine, for example, if Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan, who is in charge of Damascus, let's say he goes to Hims with his army in order to help Abu Ubaidah. Then what happens to Damascus? Damascus is left exposed. Right? So that's the, the logistics problem here. The Muslim army is spread so thin that no one can leave their, their station. They have to stay in their own place. So this is a very uh, difficult situation. It's a very delicate situation. So now that this Christian army from Al-Jazeera wants to go towards Hims, Abu Ubaidah is in a difficult position. Now Hiraqal, the Byzantine emperor, he wants to take advantage of the situation. He knows that the Muslim army is not very big. And he knows that, you know, this will cause an issue for them. So along with the army of Al-Jazeera that's going towards Hims, Hiraqal organizes and deploys another army of Byzantine soldiers as well to go with them and to support them. So it's the Christian army from Al-Jazeera and another army that has been organized by Hiraqal. So two armies marching towards Hims. So Abu Ubaidah realizes this is a serious threat. So he consults Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu. Khalid was with him in Hims. He consulted Khalid ibn al-Walid for advice. So Khalid's advice was let's go out and meet them on the way before they arrive. Before they can organize themselves. You know this is two armies. This is an army from Al-Jazeera and it's also another army that Hiraqal has organized. It's two armies. So before they meet and, and unite and, and coordinate with one another, before they can organize themselves, let's go and attack them before they can get together and organize themselves. If we do that, if we can get them, if we can attack them before they make this coordination between themselves, then you know we have a chance inshallah that we can defeat them. This was Khalid ibn Walid's idea. Abu Ubaidah also consulted others 
from the Muslims around him. And the majority of them disagreed with the approach of Khalid ibn al-Walid. They said to Abu Ubaidah, our number is very small compared to their numbers. It, it won't be possible for us to, to meet them and to fight with them with such numbers. We're completely outnumbered. So the best thing that we can do right now is we should fortify ourselves behind the walls, behind the gates of the city. Hims was a fortified city. So they advised Abu Ubaidah, let's just fortify ourselves behind the walls of the city. So now Abu Ubaidah, he decides to consult Amir al-Mu'mineen himself. He decides to consult Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu So he sends an urgent message with a messenger to Medina to apprise Umar ibn al-Khattab of the situation and asking him what he orders. So Umar he knows about the situation of the Muslim army in Asham. He knows how, how thinly it is spread. So he knows that he can't send support for Abu Ubaidah from any of the other cities in Sham because it will leave those cities exposed. So he knows that he can't do that. So what he decides to do, and it, it just shows the intelligence of Umar bin Khattab he sends a message to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas is in Iraq. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas was one of the commanders for the conquest of Persia. Remember, these conquests are going on simultaneously. The conquest of Persia and the conquest of Sha'a. They're going on at around the same time. So Umar an, he sends a message to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, who is in Iraq, in what was formerly the Persian Empire. And he tells Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas to send an army to help Abu Ubaidah in Hims. Send an army from Iraq, from Persia, to Asham to Hims to help Abu Ubaidah. So Sa'ad radiallahu an, he sends 4,000 of his soldiers under the command of Qa'a ibn Amr. He sends them to Sham to go to Hims to support Abu Ubaidah. And Qa'a ibn Amr radiallahu an, we've spoken about him before. He was one of, one of the greatest Muslim soldiers. So he's commanding this group of 4,000 soldiers in order to go to Hims to support Abu Ubaidah. Also, Umar ibn Khattab, again, showcasing his, his brilliance. Umar ibn Khattab an, also sends a message to Ayyad ibn Ghanam. He's, he's another commander in Persia. And he tells him to bring an army, not to Hims, but to bring an army to Al-Jazeera, which is in the, the northern part of Iraq. Why did he send Ayyad ibn Ghanam to go to Al-Jazeera? Because that Christian army that left from Al-Jazeera towards Hims, they have left Al-Jazeera exposed now. The army has gone to fight Abu Ubaidah. So there's no army there in Al-Jazeera now. So this is an opportunity. Umar ibn, ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu saw. So he, he sent Ayyad to go to Al-Jazeera. The place is left unprotected. We can take it. So Ayyad radiallahu anhu, he goes with an army and he reaches Al-Jazeera and he takes the land of Al-Jazeera. 
Now, when the news reaches the Christian army that had left Al Jazeera, news reaches them while they're still on their way to Hims. They haven't reached Hims yet. They're still on their way. And the news reaches them that the Muslims under Ayad ibn Ghanam, they have taken Al Jazeera. So now this Christian army got shocked. They weren't expecting this. This was something that caught them off guard. It caught them by surprise. And then they started thinking, they started getting afraid. Okay, well, what's going to happen to our, our, our women, our children? We left them all unprotected. We weren't expecting the Muslims to come there. So they got scared. We need to go back. So they turned back on their heels and they headed back towards Al Jazeera. They didn't even complete the journey to him. To him. So now one of those armies is gone. And now Hiraqal's army, the army that, that Hiraqal had organized and sent to support this army, now they start, they start getting confused as well. They don't know what to do now. Like, you know, we were sent to support this army, but now this army has abandoned us and they're going back to their place. What are we supposed to do now? They realize that things are falling apart and they start to get worried that, you know, these things are not going according to the way that we planned it. So this was actually a brilliant strategy by Umar ibn Khattab to destroy the morale of the Christian army. So even if the Christian numbers are more, you know, their army has more in terms of number. If they're not there mentally, then they won't be able to accomplish anything. So, so Umar through these tactical moves, you know, he was waging a type of psychological warfare on them. And it worked very successfully, alhamdulillah. In addition to all of this, Umar ibn al-Khattab he organized an army in Medina itself, led by himself, led by Umar to go towards Sham as well, to provide support for the Muslim army over there. So Umar he's ready to, to leave Medina to, to, to form an army in Medina and lead that army and go to Syria himself. So the news reached the Byzantine soldiers of this as well. They're already in a state of confusion now. And now they also receive news that Umar, Amir al-Mu'mineen himself, he has organized an army from Al-Madina and he's coming as well. So now this completely shattered their morale. The morale of the Byzantine army, now it's gone. They, they lost all of their confidence after hearing this. So now, this, this Byzantine army, now they're in a position of weakness. So Khalid ibn al-Walid advises Abu Ubaidah again, look, their morale has been shattered. You know, the, the army that was coming from Al Jazeera, they went back. The Christian army right now, it's, it's really in a chaotic state. So this is your chance to strike them while they're weak. Don't give them a chance now to regain their strength. They're in a point of weakness now. So we have to attack them while they are weak. So Abu Ubaidah he agreed with this advice of Khalid this time. Yes, this is our opportunity. This is our window of opportunity. We must take this opportunity. So they went out and they attacked the Byzantine army. And they defeated them, walhamdulillah. And they were able to successfully do this even before the support of Qa'qa came from Iraq. Qa'qa was coming with 4,000 soldiers deployed by Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. He was coming to help them. But Alhamdulillah, Abu Ubaidah with his army and with Khalid, they were able to defeat the Byzantine sources even before Qa'qa showed up with those 4,000 soldiers. Qa'qa and those 4,000 soldiers, they, they showed up three days later. And by this time, Alhamdulillah, you know that Byzantine army had already been defeated. 
And the news reached Umar ibn Khattab that Abu Ubaidah has successfully defeated this Byzantine army. This news reached Umar while he was also on his way. He was coming from Medina. He was also on his way. And at this point, he was in Al-Jabiyah. He was in Al-Jabiyah. And he received this news of the victory. So he was very pleased, Alhamdulillah. And he ordered Abu Ubaidah to distribute the spoils of war to those who fought against these Byzantines and also, also shared these spoils of war with the army that came with Qa'qa. Because they came with the intention to help. Even though they came, even though the battle was already over by the time they, they came, they came with the purpose of supporting this army. So give them a share of the spoils of war as well. And even these soldiers from Medina that came with Umar Umar ordered for them to also get a share of the spoils as well. Because they came for this purpose. So this was the order of Umar ibn Khattab And now the Muslims, alhamdulillah, after this victory, the Muslims were in a position of strength again. And they were able to continue. Now that they have the momentum going again, with this great victory, they were able to conquer more cities, one after another, after another, after another. So with each city they conquered, the Muslim strength became stronger and the Byzantine strength became weaker. So as the Muslims are getting stronger, the Byzantines keep dropping and dropping and dropping and, and becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And eventually, eventually the Muslims, Alhamdulillah, they were able to conquer all of Sham, all of the greater Syria area, completely. And they rid it completely of the Byzantine presence. They got all of the Byzantines out of Sham. And they only left alone some areas in the mountains of Lebanon. The Muslim army didn't go to those mountains in Lebanon where there was a Christian presence there. That's the area that they left. And the, the Christians maintained a stronghold in those mountains of Lebanon. And, you know, they continuously caused problems for the Muslims from that time and for many centuries to come after that because the Muslims didn't go into those mountains. So that actually did cause problems later on. But for the most part, except for those mountain, th those mountainous areas in, in Lebanon, those, those, those mountains over there, except for that, the Muslims were able to take over all of Sham, alhamdulillah. So while Umar ibn Khattab an, was, was at Al-Jabiyah, he met again with the commanders of the Muslim army from the different parts of Sham. He organized their affairs and he addressed their concerns. And he made a, a very significant decision. One of the decisions that he made was to relieve Khalid ibn al-Walid from his military role. That Khalid ibn al-Walid is being discharged from the army. Right? And why did Umar ibn Khattab do this? Khalid ibn al-Walid was the best commander of the military of the Muslims. And this is something that was well known. So why did Umar release him from this position? Why did he discharge him from this position? We'll talk about that inshallah. During the Khilaf of Abu Bakr Khalid was the main commander. Abu Bakr kept Khalid as the commander of the military forces, the main general, the main commander. And then when Umar became the Khalifa, he demoted Khalid. He allowed him to stay in the army, but not as the main commander. Right? He gave that position instead to Abu Ubaidah. And 
Khalid had a secondary role. He was not the main commander. This, is, this was what Umar ibn Khattab did initially after the passing away of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq So now, after some time that Khalid ibn al-Walid spent uh, under the command of Abu Ubaidah after a period of time, Umar radiallahu anhu now had, had decided to completely discharge Khalid ibn Walid from military service. He won't even be a soldier anymore. And when Khalid received this message from Umar radiallahu anhu that, that he has been relieved of duty, he accepted it without complaint. Right? He, he, he was a loyal soldier. Again, he knows that Umar radiallahu anhu is, is the commander-in-chief as the Khalifa, he's the commander-in-chief. So he knows that he has to accept this decision, so he didn't complain about it. Of course, he was sad to leave his, his military role because that's what he's been doing his whole life, and he's very good at it too. He was sad to leave it, but he accepted this decision. And he gave a farewell speech to the soldiers who were under him, who were with him. And they were also all very sad to see him go. This is a man, Khalid ibn al-Walid, who never lost a battle. He never lost a battle his whole life. During the period of Jahiliyyah, before he became a Muslim, he fought many battles, never lost any of them. And after he became a Muslim, he fought many battles, never lost one of them. He fought 99 battles. If you count all of his battles in Jahiliyyah and Al-Islam, it's 99 battles. 99 battles and you didn't even lose one single one. His record is 99-0. Oh. Right? So this is, this is an amazing military commander. And, and jihad was his life. You know? Fight, that was his life. So now he has been you know, relieved of his duties and he has been discharged. And he accepted the decision. When Khalid ibn al-Walid and Umar ibn al-Khattab finally met, they met face to face after Umar radiallahu anh made this decision, Umar radiallahu anh wanted to console Khalid ibn al-Walid. And he wanted to explain the reason why he discharged him. Khalid ibn al-Walid, he didn't do anything wrong. Umar radiallahu anh didn't have like a personal problem with him or nothing like that. Rather, Umar radiallahu anh did it for a very important reason. When Umar met with Khalid, he said to Khalid, Wallahi ya Khalid, innaka alayya la kareem, wa innaka ilayya la habib. He said, Wallahi, I swear by Allah, Ya Khalid, you are someone who is very honorable to me. And you are someone who is very beloved to me. I love you. And I promise that you will never be upset with me about anything after today. And then he explained to Khalid ibn al-Walid and he sent letters to all of the cities in the Muslim lands explaining this decision. Why he discharged Khalid ibn al-Walid from the military? Why did he do this? It's a question that would come to people's mind. The most successful Muslim military commander never has lost a battle. Why would this person be discharged by the leader? So Umar radiallahu anhu explained it and he gave a very good reason for it. He wrote a letter to all of these cities to inform the people and he said in this letter inni lam a'zil khalidan an sakhtatin wala khiyana that i have not removed khalid 
due to any type of anger that I have towards him or any type of treachery on his part. No, there's nothing like that. I'm not angry with him. I am pleased with him. He did not ever commit any type of betrayal. He, he did not commit any type of treachery. Nothing like that. That is not the reason. But I have noticed that the people have been put to trial by him. What does that mean? It means that when they see Khalid is with them in the battle, they feel like, oh, Khalid ma'ana. We're going to win for sure. Khalid is with us. We're going to win for sure. Because he's never lost a battle. So they think that Khalid being with them in the army, it means they, that there's no way that they can lose. So he feared that people are putting their dependence upon Khalid instead, instead of putting their dependence upon Allah. Instead of saying, Allah ma'ana, they're saying, Khalid ma'ana. Khalid is with us. We can't lose. And Umar radiallahu anh didn't want the people to get into that type of a mindset. He wanted them to, complete, to keep their complete dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So in order to, to save the aqidah of the Muslims, to keep them upon true trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is one of the cornerstones of tawheed, to make sure that their aqidah remains correct and firm, this is why he removed Khalid ibn al-Walid from his position. And he continued in the letter, he said, فَأَحْبَبْتُ أَنْ يَعْلَمُ أَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الصَّانِعُ وَأَلَّا يَكُونُوا بِعَرَضِ فِتْنَةِ He said, I want to make sure that the people know that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gives the victory. Not Khalid. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gives victory. And I didn't want the people to go on a path that leads them towards fitna by putting their dependence upon Khalid ibn Walid and forgetting to put their dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the reason why he did this. See how concerned Umar ibn Khattab was for the, the belief of the Muslims. This is the most important thing. So this is why he discharged Khalid ibn al-Walid from military duty. So now, you know, he's not a commander. He's not even a soldier anymore. Now he's just a regular citizen, a civilian now, right? Imagine this, someone who whose whole life has been battle after battle after battle. That's, that's, that's what he knew, you know, and now suddenly he's, he's, he has to transition into being a regular civilian. He's not even a soldier anymore. So it was difficult for Khalid ibn al-Walid, right? But he accepted it and he understood the reasoning of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu And he lived for a few more years after that. And he spent his time now reading the Quran. He spent his time reading the Quran. He didn't have much time to read Quran before. Always on the battlefield. Not much time to recite the Quran. So he, he saw this as something good. Alhamdulillah, now I have time to read the Quran. He would say, I was constantly in battle. I didn't have time to read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, alhamdulillah, I have an opportunity to read it more. So I'll take advantage of that. And he started reading Quran. He lived for a few years. And then the time came for his passing. And when he was on his deathbed, he felt sad on his deathbed. You know, because he always had this desire that he would die on the battlefield. Right? Someone who lived his whole life on the battlefield, he was expecting and wishing and hoping to die on the battlefield as well. But now he's dying on a bed. So he was very sad about this. And he said, there is nowhere on my body except that it has been either pierced by an arrow or cut by a sword or slashed by a dagger. 
right? Every part of my body has scars on it. But now, I'm dying like a camel on my bed. I'm dying like a camel dies. فَلَا نَامَتْ أَعْيُنُ الْجُبَنَا فَلَا نَامَتْ أَعْيُنُ الْجُبَنَا He said, may the eyes of the cowards never sleep. People who are not courageous, people who don't want to fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they fear for their own safety, their, their eyes, even if they're sleeping, they're always scared. So, you know, it's like their eyes are not ever completely closed because they're cowards. So he said, May the eyes of the cowards never sleep. So he was sad, you know, dying on a bed instead of dying in the battlefield. And one of the, one of the Muslims who was with him, he said, Ya Khalid, there is no way that you could ever die on the battlefield. This, this is something that could never happen. You know, even if you spent your whole life, even if you were never discharged from the military, you would have never died on the battlefield. And the reason for that is because the Prophet ﷺ said that you are Sayfullah al-Maslul. You are the unsheathed sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are the sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can the sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fall down in the battlefield? It can never happen. There was no way, Ya Khalid, that you would ever die in the battlefield. You are the sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at this. But of course, Khalid ibn al-Walid living his whole life in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah he will still have the, the level of a shaheed. Right? So even if a person dies on his bed, but the person spent his life fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this person will have the level of the martyrs, the level of the shuhada. So Khalid ibn al-Walid, he passed away. Radiallahu anhu wa ardah. When the news reached Medina that Khalid had died, Khalid, he died in Hims, he died in Syria, and he was buried there. And when uh, the news reached Medina that he had died, the women of Medina cried. The women were crying a lot. That there will never be someone like Khalid ibn al-Walid again, you know. And now he's gone from this dunya. So the women were crying a lot. And one man came to Umar ibn al-Khattab and complained that, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, look at the women, they're crying too much. So, uh, so Umar ibn Khattab said to this man, Ala mithli Abi Sulaiman faltabkil bawaki. Ala mithli Abi Sulaiman faltabkil bawaki. On the likes of Abu Sulaiman, Abu Sulaiman was the kunya of Khalid ibn al Walid. On the likes of him, on the likes of Khalid ibn al Walid, let the criers cry. He, Khalid ibn al Walid is deserving that the women should cry over him. As long as it is not crying that is accompanied by screaming and wailing and stuff like that, let them cry. He is someone who should be cried upon. And that was the passing away of Khalid ibn al-Walid one of the greatest commanders in human history. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with Umar ibn al-Khattab and all of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah, we will continue next week with the biography of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu Barakallahu feekum, wallahu alam, sallallahu wa sallam, wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.